0: Check, check. Look at that beautiful carousel. This is going to be a lot of fun. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Taking the
1: Time. I'm here with Brian and uh, Mr. Richard Page of R-Page Watches. And we're just going to have a little bit of fun talking about... uh, the new bronze case from R-Page Watches and uh, whatever else we end up talking about. And if you haven't seen the pictures of this thing, holy cow, thing's gorgeous. I don't even like bronze watches, and you you had me. I'm like, wow. So
0: It's uh, my job, to try to change your minds.
2: Right? <laughs> exactly. There, um, there's no mind-changing here, Richard. <laughs> I mean, you know, the man who needs no introduction, the great Richard Page coming live from Hawaii. Uh <laughs> r-page designs and uh i love bronze and some of them i let patina some i keep shiny um you know the bronze divers i let them patina because i think it looks cool and the you know the nicer stuff that like you make i would want to keep that a little more shiny so yeah Brian,
0: when, you, when you keep do you do you um patina them i was looking something on um youtube about putting in an ammonia and salt and getting a real heavy duty uh patina do you do that i just let it do it naturally in your
2: I, I let it naturally uh, patina. I know some guys will force patina. They'll put it in uh, salt water, and then they take it um, like a something like a jar, a mason jar or pickle jar or something, put a little bit of ammonia in the bottom, and then take a, like, a little plastic cup and set the watch or whatever part of the watch they want to put in there, and the vapors will actually come up, and you can get some interesting blues and greens and things like that. Um mm-hmm. Also, there's they. You can also actually, believe it or yeah. not, you can actually instead of using ammonia, you can use Brasso in the bottom of the container because it it contains ammonia, and uh, it's it's just more expensive than general ammonia. But you think, yeah, something that's a brass or bronze cleaner wouldn't patina brass or bronze. But yes, as a matter of fact, it's, it's big, especially in modding and things like that. These guys will force patina. And some people come out with really amazing colors, blues and greens. Um, a, a lot of times they'll come out just dark brown. So they, you know, they just clean them off and, and go back at it again. So.
0: It wow. First foray into bronze watches. And I spent a lot of time with the manufacturing part to make sure I had the finish correct. And um, I thought it had a really nice brush finish. I like the finish on it. And I'm wondering that'll kind of screw it up, so to speak, if I start playing around with the with the metal and let it oxidize and stuff or change it dramatically. I'm not sure I'm going to like it. So I'm just kind of figuring out if I want to take one of them and just kind of do, I know I know you can remove the patina after it's done, but I just don't want to get too too wild with it because I, I figured if somebody buys it, they would just do it themselves and see it where they they really want to uh, to have it.
2: Yeah. yeah. We we yeah. jumped right in. We need yeah. to do a
0: risk
2: check. We, we got to yeah, do a risk check. Off the deep end straight into you know hardcore. <laughs> you know watch watch uh, destruction or modification, and it can go either way. You know if you get too much of that green stuff around the crown, it's never going to seat it right. It's going to be like barnacles, and it's got you got to clean it out with a toothbrush. It's nasty, but risk check. Okay, yes. today <laughs> it's uh, oh, a fanta- fantastic fantastic uh, co star here. Dr. Q called me out on it today. I have, well, you're gonna see it upside down. It's the Sangamon Mother Road Route 66. Um, Great watch, NH35 movement. Um, And it's a big, just a big, nice big dial. And I, I I like this watch. It's a lot of fun. And it's the only factory strap, I think it's because the lugs are so big on the actual watch, that actually fits me. So, so far.
1: So. All right, I have got my R page carousel.
0: Love it, beautiful Peter. Peter. <laughs> Cheat. And you, sir? Uh, well, I think, I'm I think wearing my bronze that I launched today. That's, and, that's
2: what uh, oh, you're <laughs> not wearing the Timex. Oh, I'm surprised. Oh so uh, yeah,
0: <laughs> makes a licking and keeps on ticking. <laughs> right. Ah, that's beautiful. elegant oh, Wow. 1960. It's, it's, yeah, it's you know it's like
1: uh, we just gotta I, I look at your watches and i'm like this guy's a genius and it's because w- w- like y- whatever you touch turns to gold or bronze or <laughs> whatever it is but i mean <laughs> i look at this dial and it's such a perfect contrast to the to the case metal but then you look at the font and the font is a great contrast to the case as well and it just, it like just sets you on fire when you look at it. It's like, wow. And it well,
0: like. The, the, the advantage I have is that I collect antique watch dials. I probably have, I don't know, maybe five or 600 of them. And I, I'll hoard them for something. I mean, I, in other words, this dial I, I, I got recently, but I bought it with the intention of having it set in a, this bronze case. But I have dials that I've been sitting on for years that I'm waiting just for the right of, movement or case or strap or something just to really make it perfect. So yeah. since I, I, I see myself as not just as a watchmaker, but more of a watchmaker designer, um, it's really important to me that everything I put out, um, I'm proud of and I want it to be something that somebody will cherish forever. So it's important for me that everything has a, has a sense of um, that it, it integrates with each other. And not just, well, I'll slap this on and I'll slap that on and throw it on. I, I, everything has to be done, right? We need to have it perfect for my, my own visual. Yeah,
1: and I mean, yeah. and 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 you can tell. I mean, there's no doubt about it. You can tell. And that's like when we were talking about the carousel, like the process you you do to pop out the, the sunken dial. And <laughs> it's like, like, I don't know who else even thinks about taking it to that level. And it's, it's just fascinating. Like
0: in in defense of that, I broke at least 30 of them trying to perfect that. Yeah, I I
1: bet it's, and I mean, I I learned
2: too. Yeah. I
1: can see why, because you know, these enamel dials, a lot of them are, you know, a hundred years, give or take. And you got to be They're They're, they're I don't want to say they're fragile, but they kind of are fragile.
0: Right. Is that. Yeah. If you drop them, the crack. It's just like a porcelain, um, Cup or something. I mean, it's fire enamelled in seven or eight layers. And it's you yeah. know enamelled glass. So if you drop it, it'll break. If you put too much heat or too much pressure, it will crack it. So yeah. I try to find dials that. Have, I mean, I'll see some great, great dials that I love. But if they have a crack in it, I just can't. I just can't bring myself to get it because I want to make it as perfect as possible. Yeah. I don't mind a metal dial that has H patina because I think it really adds a real interesting look to it. But when it comes to the enamelled dials. Because they were made to be impervious to the elements. You know, they're waterproof, they're dustproof. You can't you really, can't, you know, some of these are over 100 years old. They look, they look like they were made yesterday. So as long as they don't crack, I'm, I'm okay with them. But if you start up playing with them and you tr- try to adapt, it's very easy to crack them. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I've, I've actually accidentally messed up a couple of enamel dials messing with pocket watches.
0: Proof yeah. positive.
1: Yep, yep. <laughs> And, and I know they have those re, your repair kits, but they don't ever... Oh,
0: that's that's just cosmetic. I mean, if yeah. you look at under magnification, it looks... The, the only way to really sometimes um, make it more, you know, looks better cosmetically is to put an ultrasonic cleaner for about seven or eight minutes. And because a lot of times when it cracks... It's not as noticeable, but when dirt gets inside of it, then it leaves a dark line. And then when you get rid of the dark line, then it, it's not as bad. So um that's that's one of the tricks of trying to improve the cosmetic on an antique dial, animal dial. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's uh and it's it's fascinating to
1: to think about the process that 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 you discover along the way, like you know, that's not something I would be aware of is putting a dial into ultrasonic to clean it and stuff like that. But that's just kind of goes along with I'm assuming your watch making heritage of knowing how to to clean. Well, you know, I,
0: I'm a fourth generation watchmaker. At one point when I was living in Massachusetts, I had seven uncles who all had stores within a 15 mile radius of my house. They were all watchmakers also. So <laughs> I'm kind of a journeyman, you know helping out with some of the family business and I learned how to hand engrave, machine engrave, uh, watchmaking, uh, jewelry repair, jewelry design. So, you know, it's kind of my osmosis being brought up in that business that you're able to learn stuff. So now I have a couple, three different cousins who are still watchmakers and I still learn from them. I mean, I learned that trick about uh, dials from my old, my cousin, maybe 15, 20 years ago when he was playing with it. He said, hey, stick in the ultrasonic cleaner, you know, because I was playing with pocket watches most of my life. I learned to fix watches on a pocket watch because they're much larger. And I was 12 years old. My dad sat me down and wanted me to fix watches. So he, uh, he started me off on pocket watches because rather than trying to explain something I couldn't see, I could actually see a pocket watch.
1: Yeah. yeah, It'll, Help you understand the, the process and how it works.
2: Yeah, I, I have one. I'm I'm too afraid to get into it, and it's, uh, <laughs> it's the second. It, the watch works fine, except the small second hand doesn't move. It just kind of it's freewheeling. I don't know why. And uh, what means
0: freewheeling? It's just spinning, or it doesn't it,
2: it can. I can manually just spin it, but it w- it won't spin on its own. So I don't know if there's just a gear that's not engaging or something.
0: It may be. It may be a need to tighten the pivot, the post on the second hand. It's not biting on the post. You know, it's be a little bit loose and it's just spitting. Oh, okay. Just a it look, I'm, I mean, it may not be without seeing it. It's like, you know, my heart doesn't work, doctor. What's wrong with that? I mean, I don't know. But yeah, yeah. You know, there aren't that many things that go wrong with a watch because there's only, there aren't that many. There's a, you know, a finite amount, amount of moving pieces. And if you do watches long enough, you experience that you've seen just about everything after a while. And that's something I would, first of all, that's, that's what I would check.
2: Okay. Yeah, I have to find it in my mess of watch watches and, and these are, I have some mods I need to finish. These need to be repaired. Um, I mean, it's a good three pounds of watches there. Um, <laughs> it's not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I don't know where the, I could look for it while you guys continue, but uh,
0: <laughs> no, that's all
2: right. Um, so, <laughs> What, what, man, what made you
1: decide to do a bronze case?
0: Well, you know, like the rest of us is that I'm also a watch collector and, um, I have, you know, I do a lot of trades, my watches. I like all different kinds of watches and I've been noticing a lot of people with bronze watches who wanted to trade me their bronze watch for one of mine and, um, or, you know, maybe a couple of whatever. And, um, I kind of got interested in it because I have—I I used to collect certain metals, in um, vintage watches. I liked platinum and I liked sterling silver, and um, and titanium. So um, when I had an opportunity to realize it was an audience for for Ron's case, I thought I, I, it was more of a challenge to myself. Say, so, well, I think I can do that also, and I think I can do—I think I can do it and make it something that's worthy, not just another me too. So yeah. I really went to, you know, I had to decide what case to use. And I like the speakies because it's got so many different levels and it's, and it's stepped that when it patinas, it will really get, I, I thought it would get a really, really nice effect when it begins to age. So I picked that one in particular being that it has a ladder effect on the design. And, um, I just thought it'd be a, a nice challenge. I only did, I'm only going to do 20 pieces so even though i'm doing a bronze case i'm only going to do uh 20 and 10 i only have 10 cases now 10 more being produced i've already sold five of the ten so there's only five really available for the next couple of maybe months um of this so you know i'm hoping the people who end up with them I really like them and and you know this is not something that i'm going to get out there and say oh great now i get a new market for bronze watches like, so i'm not i don't do anything and Limited in big editions. Everything's got to be small. So I may never do another bronze watch ever. And the next two watches I have being in production right now are completely different, and they're both in steel.
2: Very cool. Uh, you yeah. went down the metal road, so you, Brad already knows what I'm going to ask you, Richard. Because when you did the the show before, I was not on the this one yet, um, and my big question was. Um, and I should have gotten both that pocket watch movement out. and it's a single jewel movement in a, uh, it's almost like a ladies' watch. Um, it's really interesting. It's a manual one, single jewel movement. It's, it's very small. Uh, but I, I pulled it, the, the movement and the dial out of the case and it says pure nickel. Uh, what was, what was with the, uh, like that was, they're almost like bragging about that it was nickel. Um, is there some historical significance to that or not really
0: a lot of it in the wartime um, one of the things that they, they had to um, do when they started producing wristwatches because when they finally began to produce wristwatches they already had to hit a war you know they, they had just come out of World War I they were going into World War Two, and the thing about uh, that's why a lot of military watches are very sedate looking and a very dark because you don't want to have something that shines you know you don't want to be out in the field and you look right the moon catches it and somebody goes oh man and they got a target so yeah. um they always were sedate and they always had metals that were very uh unobtrusive so nickel was really good because it um you know it didn't shine you know i mean i, I imagine you could shine it but it was very dull metal so yeah. they used nickel a lot in the 30s and 40s even to the 50s
2: yeah i think this one was from the 30s and it's it's got an interesting movement um it, I say interesting. Some people would say boring, or I don't know. It's, it's literally it says one jewel.
0: Uh, is it a pin lever movement? Just the jewel is on the, is on the um, uh, balance wheel.
2: Um, it I may be.
0: I mean, the side. Yeah, they do that. Think Timex was was famous for making the pin lever movement in the Mickey mm-hmm. Mouse watch, and and uh <laughs> there were no jewels, but those things lasted forever. But once they broke, they were gone. Yeah. So the good thing is they would work horses until they broke. The day they broke, you never could fix them.
2: Yeah. I I mean, I know it's probably in the box that's under my laptop in front of me. So it's,
0: it's never been used if it's been sitting because it's not going to age if it hasn't been. Because pin-level watches because they're not jeweled will age. You know, a jewel is a, is a bearing. Right. Sapp- synthetic corundum, sapphire, or, you know, whatever. Ruby and it's steel pivot you got a steel pivot so as this thing turns the pivot you have the jewel and you oil it and it doesn't wear down doesn't wear down the steel but when you have you know, and if you have a piece of metal and you have another piece of metal and you keep going like that it'll, it'll enlarge the hole if you keep doing that you don't have something if the same if one softer, the same same um you know on the hardness scale so a pin of a movement doesn't have any jewels, it's just metal against metal. So as it rotates over the years, it widens the hole and it starts wobbling. You can't, you can't fix it. But if you don't use it, it'll stay that way forever. And then you can use it, you get a couple years out of it.
2: That's that's cool. Yeah, the one I have, it's uh I don't have the it doesn't have a, a crown. So or you it know, have
0: to wind, wind it Do You have to sit on it or
2: yeah, just no, it's just it, it's something <laughs> that uh, somebody picked up for me in a bag of a whole bunch of just watches and stuff and I found that one. Oh,
0: you, you mean it's broke. I thought it came without a crown.
2: Yeah, no. It, it uh yeah it, it's it's that's actually had the it was it was a really funny little piece and it has this kind of curved glass over it and then you it's hinged almost like a very small pocket watch but maybe an inch inch and a quarter in diameter and attached right attached to the dial is the movement and it lifts right out of the case. And so yeah, I mean, with if it had the crown in it, it wouldn't lift out. But it was, yeah. It's I should have had these things. I should have found these things beforehand because now we're getting real watch repair lessons from Professor Richard Page. Of, <laughs> you know.
0: I w- I always was going. to I had a project in mind many many uh, years ago where I was going to take vintage cases and put. New, now I'm doing the opposite now. I'm taking new watch. I'm I'm designing a watch around an antique movement, and but my other idea was at the time to take antique antique watch cases, which some of them are really fantastic, and put new movements in them to make them. You know, it's like taking an old Mustang and putting a you know a, a you know a new motor in it, right? Yeah. yeah, disc brakes and all that, and power steering, and so that's what I was going to do, but then. What happened was was that you know people got away from this 36 millimeter, 34 millimeter look, and it looked it looked pretty hokey. Um, today, the vintage watches, the smaller ones, compared to what people are wearing today, it just does it just doesn't translate. Yeah,
1: I, I I saw you you had mentioned that you have a couple projects coming up, and I think I saw a post about a 41 millimeter case.
0: Yeah, you know. <laughs> I, <laughs> you know I, people have just been driving me nuts over the years oh it's too big for my wrist and and you know and, and ironically living in hawaii is that i sell <laughs> i sell a lot of my watches to asian women in fact my wife wears my watches and they're, they're not that you know they're not like six feet tall women they're, they're usually more <laughs> and they love them because they they um mimic a european style which is an oversized watch but I'm getting a lot of stuff saying, oh, I don't want a big watch. When are you going to do a smaller watch? And I started working with another company, another company in another country, and they, they want me to produce a smaller watch. So I said, you know, maybe the time to do it is now. So um, I've designed a Art Deco-style 41-millimeter watch, which I'm going to be using a, a new Swiss movement. Okay. But I'm going to be using an antique, an antique dial. It's gonna, it's okay. gonna be, it's gonna be an R-page look and feel, and it's gonna have that kind of different uh, approach. So I'll be doing that, and I'm pretty excited. That's what I did with my speakeasies. I, I made 50 of those, made for a uh, new Unitas movement, and I still use antique dials. or the Broadway has a new dial. So again, I, um, I'm trying to integrate different types of. Um, Directions and watches. Since I don't, I'm not just married to old watches and new watches. I just, I just like them all. And to me, it's just, it's just all part of the same world.
1: Right. But Be- because you, uh, for- forgive me if I'm, I, don't get this completely right. But you were the manager of like a high-end jewelry store at one point with a, with a lot of different brands.
0: No, no, no that was my own store. I had oh, seven okay. retail stores in my, in my days in San Francisco okay. when I moved there in my younger days. And um, I had a really pri- a high profile watch store in, in San Francisco on Union Street, which is a, kind of you know, like Newbury Street in Boston, or I don't know where else to make an analogy. But um, so I had a store uh, which I specialized in vintage watches and, um, and new watches. And, I, and I, was, I was an authorized dealer for yeah, IWC, Jaeger LaCulture, Ulysses Narden, Icapod, Elaine Soberstein, Oris, Fortis uh, IWC, the Porsche watch, you know, I, I, had a lot of great dealerships. And so I was really on the map. And since I was, um, this is back in the nineties, um, I get a lot of high tech people from Silicon Valley coming up and, and I did a lot of business with, you know, some pretty famous high tech people, which I, I don't want to mention their name, but that you know, was pretty fun for me, you know, to, to, to sell watches to these guys and, and to meet them. And, you know, I had a, I had a really fun business. But I got out of retailing and jumped onto the internet uh, in the very in the in the late 1990s. and never never opened another retail store.
2: So it's it's not confirmed, but you may or may not have sold Bill Gates a watch. Is
0: what I'm
2: hearing. <laughs> may or may not have.
0: Well, ironically, Uh-oh. a friend of mine who's from Taiwan was in here at my house recently, and. Um, he bought a watch from me and he said, I'm buying it for a certain guy, and it had Aladdin's lamp on the dial in the 1920s. And he tells me it's going to go to the guy who owns Alibaba because they were buddies. <laughs> oh, guy, wow. uh, <laughs> I don't remember. Anyway, he may be wearing my watch, and that'd be cool. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, kind of cool.
1: Right. It's kind of like ironic, sort of, yeah. in a very strange
2: way. Yeah, major irony there. It's. Very, very one-off, bespoke watches, and versus, you know, big, mass-produced, you know, stuff, and uh, it's kind of yeah, two to the two sides of the coin meet in the middle of the yin and the yang. So that's, that's too cool.
0: just a high-profile location, time. I met a lot of celebrities and movie stars and all that, and they, they were kind of interesting. Not all of them were, 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 as, were as interesting as, as they appear on on the screen. You know, like, a lot of them. Don't. <laughs> yeah but some of the super interesting people and um and my claim to fame was i sold joe montano watch so that was, that was oh, cool. nice that's, my, that's a
2: big name okay yeah I mean. and,
0: uh, george lucas used my watches for the movie tucker i don't know if you ever saw that movie hmm. it was it was about the, the guy who invented tucker car and oh and it, yeah i uh, watched hmm. the stage set you so know i it was fun because being in the bay area uh around all those crazy people
2: in the nineties was uh it was an exciting <laughs> I can't even imagine that that yeah I'm, I'm sure you got in a little a little bit of fun while you were living out that way and uh yeah I'm sure I'm sure you met up with some uh some yeah some interesting and perhaps right. eclectic types of, of people. That's well, that's uh, all that's
0: all that's all there are in San Francisco. I mean <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, well. You <laughs> wanna if you wanna meet interesting and weird people, just go to San Francisco. I mean I lived there for a while and um after I you know I left when I graduated college and moved up to California, I ended up getting and you know, living there and um it was a lot of fun back in those days and living in California. Now it's kind of uh overblown and you know it, it has a lot of problems. And I'm glad I'm not there any longer, but it is a beautiful state.
2: Yeah yeah definitely has a lot to offer uh, the, so that that's that's really cool I, I i love the history i love movies i love watches i love cars i you know motorcycles things like that so yeah i mean i'm, I'm just kind of hanging on to every word that you're saying and i'm actually getting instructions on how to possibly fix something you know myself from the master himself which is a very rare opportunity for me because you, you really, you are a watchmaker. You know, it's, it's a dying art.
1: And, and you're an artist too. (laughs) Like, I mean, it's, it's it's clear. Like, I think it's pretty clear in the community that I, I definitely look up to you, respect you and, and try to learn as much as I can. Can from you. So when, when Brian says that, I'm like, I, I talk to you all like two or three times a week. It's pretty consistent that way. I think we're just chatting regularly. So I'm like, Oh, just, just message him. So
0: maybe not. I love working with, um, with people just coming into business and really particular interest in it. I feel like I, I really, I've been in it so long and I really want to give something back to it. Uh, it was really big. It's really been, kind to me and gave me a great life and um in return I, I try to help as much as i can and i try to participate as much as i can in discussions and stuff because i, I just think if you know people who, who are looking for knowledge i mean I, I mean i had to do that for a living when i owned time zone i don't know if you knew that i i, I found the timezone.com and um and that was a very interesting uh experience for me where i had tens of thousands of people who went to watches coming through a day and try to control. I was like the mayor of the community and they try to control that type of audience. Cause you know, most people who went to watch is a little bit higher in the intelligence level and a little bit higher on in the income level because they can afford and they understand it. So when you get those kind of people in a discussion, they get into, you know, a pissing match <laughs> and I have to be the moderator. I mean, it's, it was, it was really a challenge for me. Um, yeah it, it, yeah that's all i can say i i was like, actually working in a mental institution as
2: a psychiatric
0: aid i think running <laughs> <time> is much <laughs> more difficult than working there
2: we haven't met before then yeah. <laughs> so well, i was going to ask
1: one question before i went to time zone because that's definitely something that i wanted to to, to talk about um so I'll, I'll ask my question and i and i think i know the answer to it but um what is your favorite big luxury brand?
0: Well, you know, that's a very difficult question for someone like myself. I have an affinity for liking Jaeger uh, Kutra only because my dad was a Jaeger Kutra dealer. And I was just a little kid. I used to go and play with those watches in my dad's store. And um, he also was a dealer for Waltham and Hamilton and Bulova. You know all these kind of things, but Jaeger was just kind of his 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 uh, his big brand. So when I get when I was able to kind of get a little bit of money together to be able to collect a watch, because you know how watches can be even throughout the ages have been expensive. I started to collect um, Jaeger-LeCoultre reversos, vintage Jaeger-LeCoultre reversos. They weren't expensive when I was collecting; nobody really wanted them. They started making them in the mid '30s, and I kind of got a got a you know a real on this for Jaeger so when I had my own store I fought hard to get the Jaeger dealership distributorship which I you know the authorized dealership which I got and I was pretty proud of myself for being modern day with that with that company So I really like their watches I'm not you know today if I had to pick out my own watch I'm, I'm more prone to like Panerai and um, my wife is a huge Cartier fan so you know unlucky for me <laughs>
2: yes <Yeah.
1: laughs> I I know the feeling. My my wife just discovered the uh, there's a 38 millimeter Panerai that the duo that just came out, or I, I think it's pretty new anyway. I That's feel
0: your pain. I feel your pain. <laughs> uh,
2: don't yeah, uh, yeah. I, I my wife was talking to me the other day, and she hears Brad and I talk all the time, and so she starts talking about chapter rings and bezels and things. I was like. Pretty soon, she's going to know how much these things cost. <laughs> she, did, she did get me a watch for my birthday. And it was, it was nice.
0: I'll talk with you two. You're in bed just talking about bezels and stuff. Get you all excited?
2: No, I was just, you know, we were sitting there watching a movie or something. And she's like, you know, I, I like the chapter ring in this watch. So I was like, you, talking, you wear a smartwatch. What are you talking about? A chapter? You know what how do you how do you know this stuff? And she's picking it up. And so I need to be careful now because
0: you're in a very dangerous position, my friend.
2: Yeah. Yes. I mean, after yeah. You see the, the chain of this
1: <laughs> like it's just downhill from here, man.
0: Yeah, it starts with I, I, I got two daughters talking about they always they always have first dips on my watches. So Oh wow imagine what that's
2: like? Do you need a son? <laughs> uh, I need a
0: son, but I just I, got a son in life,
1: I've got dibs on that, okay? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Might be a little old to be a son, but I'm taking it.
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's – I mean, and that's one of those things. And that that's one of those things that's super cool, Richard, is that, you know, you're, you are willing to kind of pass the torch and, and pass that – the, the passion the the knowledge and the passion you know to the the next well the next generation's younger than i am i just turned 39 but you know and to to get younger people you know in the earlier 30s and 20s and even down into mechanical watches now it's it's a little bit more difficult with all the the tech um smart watches and things like that they say oh well you know this can do well, you know, what's that one do? Well, you know, if you drive one mile at a constant speed, the, you know, on my outer bezel, I can measure your, the speed of your car. And they're like, what else does it do? Well, it tells time. Well, what else does it do? Well, it acts like a timer. What else does it do? Well, this bezel rotates. What else does it do? It tells me the date.
0: And I mean, I see so many yeah. smart watches. And, and then... And then- <laughs> You know, I have, uh, I have the enemy within, living in within my house because my daughter is a mechanical engineer for Apple. Oh, wow. Yeah. So she, she wears my watches at Cupertino when she goes to the main, to the main um, thing. She's always wearing my watch. Like, what the hell is that? But the, the irony, and I'm not giving away any secrets about Apple by telling you this, but her boss, or one of her managers, used to work for Rolex. Oh Wow. wow. And he's a mechanical engineer for Rolex, you know, doing watches and I was working for Apple, which I thought was kind of ironic and interesting because, you know, it's all it's all about engineering.
2: Yep. So,
0: uh, yeah, it is interesting.
2: Yeah, huh. yeah. it's also, yeah, I mean, it's also a, a pretty big name on, on a resume too when you say, well, you know, how much do you know about computers? Well, I know about engineering. Oh, well, what did you do? Well, I worked, for, I was an engineer for Rolex. So like, That's a pretty big name drop. So, you know, it's not not like, oh, I was an engineer. for.
0: Well, when he found out that her dad was a watchmaker, he was telling her she should go and do watchmaking to pick up that talent. He said it helped with design of products for Apple, which I thought was kind of interesting.
2: Huh. So we may see an R-Page smartwatch in the future is what I'm hearing.
0: Uh, Highly unlikely. (laughs) Highly unlikely. Maybe if I put a gun to my head. (laughs) (laughs) we're on the same page (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. yeah
2: yeah but that that is it is interesting because you combine the old with the new uh whether it be the the movements and the dials or an old dial with a new movement in a new case you know or the original idea of using an older case with a newer movement you know kind of like a heart transplant and it's it's really cool and i could see people that are into more into tech actually liking your style because it combines the old with the new it's granted it's not digital and it doesn't give you an ekg and it doesn't tell you your pulse oxygen level and doesn't give you directions to the nearest bathroom or any of that but you know it that is an
0: idea, though.
2: yeah yeah I, that would sell you know and uh and uh, yeah, like you know, turn off now.
0: <laughs> One of the things I want to talk about today that really kind of always irks me when people say that I have a marriage watch, and I don't know if you're familiar with that term, but I hate when people say that. But you know, the marriage mean they took an old pocket watch and stuck it in a case, and they and they call it a marriage watch. I've been in I've been in arguments with people on the internet about this because, um, by definition. A marriage watch is something where you take an old movement and you put it in a new case and you sell it as a watch. I mean, you know, it's as simple as that. But the way I did it was that that would, that would mean that every watch is a marriage watch. Because basically when you, as, as Brad knows, when you start your own watch company, you not only have to decide upon, because the, the, the case oftentimes is dictated by the movement or vice versa. But you have to choose, you have to, one naturally leads to the other. So because I chose when I to do my own watch brand, uh, you know, I, I thought I'd get a lot of grief from the watch community if I just you know, did a pretty generic watch, like an to or something that anybody could get, because I, I had this reputation of being someone who you know was a was a person in the internet, watch internet, and I, and I was supposed to have known, you know, sowed my oats and understand how, to, how it all works. So I, cho- I-, I couldn't afford to do a really high-grade piece because it took it out of my price point. I wanted my watches to be, I didn't want to compete with Rolex and Omega and those people. I, mean, I wanted it to be somewhere between $1,800 and $2,600. I thought that was a great sweet spot where I could offer it. And that was always always a challenge to me, too. Could I produce a watch for that kind of money and still do something great and do one of a kind? and And... The only way to really know if I could do that is to go ahead and try the project. So what I did, because I wanted to use something spectacular, in a movement I couldn't afford to use. Not that I couldn't afford it, but I couldn't afford to sell them at that price. Um, I chose an antique pocket watch movement because that's, in comparison to today's watches, that's like the Patek of today. I mean, some of these things, if you look at the movements, they're extraordinary the workmanship. Remember, they're, they're always they're great and they're beautifully done, dumb and they weren't even made to be seen. It was stuck inside of a, of a post cover. So they did it to impress each other, the other watch companies and the, and the watch authorized dealers. So when I chose to do um, a pocket watch movement, I built my case around the pocket watch movement. So it wasn't like I married a, a movement with a case. My whole watch brand was built around a specific movement. And that's, and that's one of the things that I really wanted to put out to people about my watches is that this thing is really well thought out. Um, that I wanted to build a case just like I, I was just like a uh, case manufacturer because the watch companies did not make the cases, the old pocket watch companies they made the movements and some other company made the cases and they were put together at the distributor at the, or at the retail stores. And so um, they had to make them generic. That's why the American pocket watch movements are, are 12 size, 16 size, 18 size. They were, they were generic. And um, there's a little bit of leeway in the cases because they were hollow, but I had a, I had a, take I had to take a, a movement and make a case that was going to account for 30 years worth of uh, engineering with my movements between 1895 and 1935 that's actually 40 years yeah so, I, so each each decade they slightly changed it so the 1935 movement is a little bit different uh, weight size dimensions from an 1895 movement even though they're, they're the same diameter they're different thickness this 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 So that's always been the challenge is to is to make a generic case that will fit an antique pocket watch movement and still make it look like a a refined piece, not just something that just stuck together because I could.
2: Yeah, Uh, actually, Brad and I had a conversation earlier, but that I kind of compared pocket watches. And I don't know if this will be inflammatory or if you'll agree with me. Um, I compared them to basically a sandwich. You know, you have a top, you have a bottom plate, everything builds off of then, you know, your top plate and everything screws on and everything's in basically in between these, you know, your two main plates. And that's what all the work is done in between. That's the the meat and the cheese or something. And it's to in order to make a sandwich come out, you know, because you're basically taking different sandwiches and making them fit in the same having them able to fit in the same wrapper or box by creating these case, these great case designs that you have. And I just say that that is, it's so incredible because yeah, I mean the, the tolerances and variances, I mean, one movement might be a little bit thicker or thinner and you know, way more or less, you know, and you, you don't want, uh, you know, any contact with, you know, the, the crystal or the back and, you know, things like that. So it's just getting that perfect, that kind of golden ratio is, uh, I can't imagine how much math is, is put into each case design that you do.
0: So. Well, the, the real, the real refinement I had, in fact, the only refinement I had was that um, the old pocket watches did not come with stem and crowns. Like modern watches come with a stem and crown. It's a D10. You unscrew it, it pops out, you screw it back in. Uh, the 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 stem and crown were part of the case, yeah. So that, yeah, as you're showing. So yeah,
2: yeah I also we, build, I also build
0: watches exactly. So in a pocket watch, you've got you've got the case, the, the crown, the stem and a sleeve, which mm-hmm. it pops into. So the only refinement I had since I was making my own case to fit a pocket watch was I I had to manufacture and engineer my
2: own stem,
0: crowns, and sleeves. Yeah, there you go. There you go.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: So that's actually a D10. That's a D10. Yeah. 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 So um, I had a, I had designed my own so that the refinement I have is I can shorten or lengthen. Well, not lengthen. But I can shorten the the stem or I can whittle it down to so make it thinner. So that was the only refinement that I could actually only do and still use um, most of the American pocket watch movements in the 12 size.
2: That's that's brilliant because I, you know, if you had given me that as you know a, a question on this, how smarter you test, I would have been banging my head against the wall and saying, no, well it's it's just it, you can't fit. I wouldn't have thought about adjusting the stem to work, and that's part of the the, the brilliance that you your your brain just works at at a higher level, and yeah it, it, to me it's just it's really my, my cool. wife I
0: disagree with you
2: well yeah my yeah, my wife thinks I'm, yeah well <laughs> <laughs> oh so
1: and well let, let's talk about time zone for a little bit um and you know i i didn't know you then obviously but i was i got on time zone in 2003 and i was on there like probably every day in my life From 2003 to like 2006 or so, five or six, with the uh, with a few exceptions. But um,
0: how did you start Timezone? Like, how did that even come about? Well, when I started it, there was there was Timezone existed as a domain name, and when I got on it, um, mainly because I had a retail store. And in a retail store, there's a lot of downtime, particularly in the winter times, you know, during the week. uh, People aren't out shopping, it's raining, it's cold. And um, I have a very low threshold of boredom. So um, I started, you know, I got a computer, and this is in the, you know, the mid-90s. And I started playing uh, on the computer during the daytime, and I found time zone inadvertently. And um, I, uh, but I didn't start that way. I started off because... One of these guys who um, was a big high-tech guy down in Silicon Valley, he had a company called OnSale, which predated eBay. It was actually the very first auction, internet auction house um, right. on the Internet. And his name is Jerry Kaplan. And he, he was with, a, I think it was Lotus, a few other companies. But a really brilliant guy. And he came up and he had heard about me because I had sold a lot of his high-tech friends, watches. So he came into my store and he said, you know, I'd like you, I'm, I'm running this auction place online. I'd like you to be the auctioneer for watches. And I said, run that by me again? <laughs> <laughs> he said, I'm, I'm, I'm doing an online auction for watches. And I, I, I go, oh, I, I, you, you lost me. You know, I, I'm, You're way above my pay grade. And he said... <laughs> He said, "Well, it's very easy to do. You, and we'll start off getting you an email." I said, "A what?" <laughs> an email. Yeah.
2: No, I, I get it. It's back so, when you had a phone I, that plugged I, into the far, wall. You?
0: I actually got my name at AOL.com. That's how far back, how early it was. <laughs> so, so here I am, and I got an email, and I'm working. At, and I started. I said, "Yeah, it sounds like fun. You know, let's do it," because I was bored. And um, so we launched. On, on sale, an online watch auction. And I was selling a lot, I was selling expensive watches. I was, I was believe me, I was, I was kind of like, I thought I, I had died in heaven. I could not believe this was actually happening. But eventually eBay came on and they started to compete with each other and, and he started losing momentum and he closed it and did something else with his business. Sold it to another company. I think Egg, Egghead Software bought it. and. Um, so he said to me, look, you've, been, you've done really well on the Internet. You should do your own Internet site. I, said, oh, you know, I don't know. He said, no, you're good at it. You've got a personality, and personalities bleed through on the Internet if, if you have a personality. So I said, oh, let's try it. So he was kind of guiding me what to do. So I, I inadvertently found this place called Time Zone where these guys were talking about watches. And there were 60 people at the time who went on Time Zone. This is in 1996. So there were 60 guys. That's Time Zone was 60 people. And all it did all day long was they argue with each other about Omega and Rolex, which is the better watch. <laughs> I go, oh, this is going to bore me to tears. So I'd come on and I'd start saying, hey, you maybe looked at Chrono Swiss. Maybe looked at IWC and then people go, who's this complete idiot coming on talking about these obscure dumb watches no one wants? But eventually I got, got kind of accepted into the community and I became a personality with these 60 guys. The guys who owned the time zone were in Singapore and they um, didn't want to do it anymore. It's just a pain in the ass to them. They had built time zone because they had a web designing company and they wanted to show people what could be done. So they bought the domain name for time zone and they said, you know, Richard, if you want it, since you're kind of active on it and you watch business, why don't you take it over from us, buy it from us? So, so you know, I'm you know, not that expensive. So he said, gee, I don't know. You know, I'm, 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 uh, have a small child and you know i got a store to run and this and that yeah you love it so i said all right so i decided to buy time zone so so i bought time zone and i didn't really and at the time they didn't have you know what what we accept easily today you can buy a website with all the the dynamics of a website already built into it but back then it was proprietary proprietary information you have to buy it if you want to get a uh a traffic count, you'd have to buy a traffic counter or design one yourself. So um, I never had a traffic counter on time zone. So in my in my first after the first year I owned it, I was um, I hired a guy to work with me he was a tech guy. And then we decided to move the the because they were controlling it, move time zone from Singapore to the United States. So I could control the um domain. I could control the traffic. So I had no idea how many people were coming on. This is a year later. We, I had started to really build it up. I started this, I did that, I did this, I did that. So, so about 18 months after I, I got it, we, we actually did the migration from Singapore to the United States. And so we decided that we, we turn off the, the domain in Singapore and launch it in the United States at you know midnight plus one minute on you know X, X date. So I went to bed and my, my engineer is up and it's one minute past midnight and he flicks it, and it crashes. Okay. Of course. yeah. So called, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> yeah. called me up in the middle of the night and said, hey, the domain crashed. I said, oh, shit, because I have people from Europe who are on right now, and, you know, because of different time zones. All, that's the whole thing, in all different time zones. So I said, we better get to the bottom of this. So at 5 o'clock in the morning, we finally got a hold of the people who were running the domain in the United States, and they were pissed off at us. They were so pissed off, and I go, "What are you mad at us for?" And they go, "Why don't you guys tell me it was a pornographic site?" What? <laughs> what? They, it's a watch you broke know, the go, internet. No, yeah. way, no way, watches has this, this much traffic. You guys are running a porno site. I didn't have a counter. Okay,
2: you couldn't be farther off, man. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. So, they, so I had to convince these guys in San Francisco that we weren't running a porno site they are running a couple watches. Basically, we're running a couple <laughs> watches, we a- <laughs> much- much guys, right? So right. Uh, and anyway, that that story. When I launched, I had I had I was getting like when I finally sold Time Zone in the year two thousand, I was getting fourteen million hits a month on that on that site. Wow. Yeah.
2: Wow. Yeah. So you, you started by breaking the internet. <laughs> and then, yeah. yeah, you literally yeah. broke the internet when you started. Broke that's that's uh, that is amazing.
0: I should have been the site watch
2: point. Yeah, <laughs> I guess I yeah. learned so much from that website,
1: um, and specifically guys like James Dowling, just a, just Rolex. Know, yeah, vintage Rolex. That guy's a genius. I mean, he's a historian, really. But uh, I mean, and I mean that wasn't the only group I was in, but that was probably the one I was in the most at, at that point. But I mean, just like. I like I grew up on that website, you know, within the watch world and that's a- child. Yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. I, saw- I mean it's uh I mean I I love that website and I and I uh, I recently got back on it just so I could see if I could reconnect with some of the people that I used to talk to. Cause I was big in um I was in the vintage Rolex form all the time and I was in the Panerai form all the time and Every once in a while, a couple others, but there was some great people in there. I went to, um, I get together in San Diego because, because of time zone. So it was like, it's a, it's a great website. Like
0: (laughs) you have, you have, you go there every year to a watch meeting in San Diego.
1: Um, I just went to one. It was a, it was a Panerai get together in like 2005, I think, four or five in there. So it's, it's been a while.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we had a couple of time zone dinners with some luminaries, you know, the guy who did The Freak for Ulysses Nardin, I forget his name. And, yeah. And uh, a lot of the big watch guys we came in San Francisco, we took them off for dinner, and it was an interesting. They're, 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 some of them are kind of not really dynamic because they're kind of more like scientists that you'd see in a lab. They're don't. They're not. they kind of shy. Yeah. And, I mean, there's a lot of them who aren't shy. A lot of the, you know, they promote themselves. A lot of the great watchmakers promote themselves now. but. Some of them, the behind the scenes, they just kind of shy. Uh, watchmaking itself is a really solitary type of work. You know, you're not like relating to anything but a piece of metal all day long. You know, trying to figure out how to how to make it run. So uh, watchmakers, by by profession, aren't always um, very uh, you know outgoing. But it was fun um, meeting with them, trying to bring them out, trying to make them you know have a good time in San. We had a good time with them.
1: That's, the the
2: that, free my profession. yeah.
0: I, I
1: can picture that watch. I don't remember what the complications are, but I remember like that that arrow looking piece with the gears that you could see how it rotated. I mean that's that's that was a phenomenal watch when I I remember when, when they Released it. And I mean Elise Narden's kind of known for that type of creativity, I guess.
0: Yeah, um, for artistic that. flair. He passed on, but the guy who bought the name Ulysses Narden, he, he really re- reinvented that brand. Uh, in the 60s, when, that's when Ulysses Nardin had its heyday. Uh, they were like a Lucian Picard. I don't know if you ever play with that one. But, you know, they, they produced some fun watches, but they were very, very traditional and, you know, you nothing really, really special at all. Uh, they made a nice product, but yeah. they, um, they weren't... Um, you know, really high line or exotic, but the guy who, who bought the name in the nineties really, really reinvented that whole, that whole brand. did a great job on it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, in the nineties, I was a teenager. So, you know, I, I first, my first exposure to at least Narden was in like 2002, maybe 2001, 2002. And I, had, my first one I ever saw was the 1846 chronometer, the marine chronometer.
0: Yeah, yeah, I carry those in my store. They're a great watch.
1: Yeah, yeah, but it, you know, compared to some of their other
0: stuff, kind of bland. <laughs> but a lot of the, I mean, watches were bland by nature, up until, I mean, if you if you look at the history of of, of design and watches, the most radical design was the was the Cartier Santos in the 20s, because it was a first wristwatch. And then you didn't see anything really, really outstanding until the Ventura, the Hamilton Ventura in the 1950s when the one that Elvis wore. Yeah, um, the yeah. The design was the Akatron space view, you know, when you could see through, you know, that Yeah, you could see the coil and... Yeah, and it's not like yeah. a mosquito. And then you didn't really have anything really outstanding that really broke new ground until I think perhaps... Well, the, the Cartier Pasha was the first oversized watch to go out of, break out of 36 millimeter. That was kind of interesting. But the Halter Barnes, which is Vianney Halter, his partner, and he, when they first made that first um, uh, watch, was just extraordinary. I don't know if you remember, it, it, it was the one that had three dials on. It looked like a Nautilus, looked like an old, you know, not Nautilus of uh, the, the watch, like Nautilus. The shell
2: of, yeah. The Jules, the, Ur, the
0: Jules Verne novel. Yeah. 20,000 under the sea.
2: That spiral there.
0: Yeah, it was like it, was, it had three thousand. It was very, very cool. And I did an interview with him for Time Zone. I was really with his partner, Jeff Barnes, who actually designed it. And they had a falling out, so it didn't really work out. But then Viennie Halter really went and did some of his own great stuff. He's, he's, he's a real incredible designer now. He's really doing some interesting stuff. But his, his Halter Barnes watch in around, I think it's around 2001, maybe 2000. Was um, was really a, a next step in watch design that broke new ground, and, and Elaine Silverstein uh, also broke new ground with his Chrono Two. That was in probably 1995, maybe, and um, just it was because it was so different. He introduced all these colors into a watch, yeah. That, and you can kind of pick out over the last century things that changed the dynamics of design in watches by by certain watches that changed. Kind of nudged things in a different direction because everything else, like you say, was very bland looking. Watches by nature, because they were the only jewelry men could wear, were bland by nature. Yeah.
1: So, so the Pasha was the first oversized watch. So, do you, would you say that they would probably be the primary creditor of the large watch, or do you think that that Panerai was because?
0: Oh. Panerai, to Panerai, me, yeah. Panerai came way later. Panerai, I mean, Panerai was okay in the in the collector world. But people didn't wear big watches up until the, the late '90s, and um, that's when I first made my first rocket watch. It was in 1996. I took a pocket watch and I soldered lugs onto it, and I had a a, um, a pocket watch on my wrist. And I word around my stone. People come in and go, what the hell's on your wrist?
2: I've thought about that you doing that? that. I've wondered if it was possible, and apparently you've already done it. I mean, so that's that's really cool.
0: That's why they get the <laughs> name Rocket, because Rocket means a cross between wrist and pocket. Rocket. So oh, okay. So I it around, and people people would get all offended by it. What's that clock doing? <laughs> the wrist? I go, I had this because I'm hard of hearing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hearing you know, and and I throw them off, and then they they leave the store thinking, "Well, that guy's really weird," you know, which is okay by me, you know. <laughs>
2: yeah, <laughs> that was fair.
0: Actually,
1: I actually came across a GCT that had um, lugs welded onto it, so you could wear it as a wristwatch.
0: I have my original rocket watch. Let me show you. Hold on, I kept it all these years. This is the one I made in 1996. Oh wow. It's sterling silver, and I saw it on these lugs. This was the very Man. first R-Page rocket watch. So I had this on my wrist. It doesn't look that big now. Yeah, it does. Yeah, I was going to say. It doesn't, look yeah. that bad. it doesn't look that big now. Yeah.
1: But back
0: then, yeah. people thought I was insane. I like, what's that big clock being on your wrist? And, of course, I have the 12 at my hands because I, I didn't want to reorient it. But I wore this around for you know a while. I really loved it. And I kept it all these years, and I kept looking at it, and this is the inspiration for my Rocket watch. That's because awesome. They're not that far <laughs> off in size. And yeah. I did this, and I said, someday I'm going to do my own watch. And after I sold Time Zone, I left the watch business for 10 years. I never wanted to look at another watch again as long as I lived. I sold my entire collection. I couldn't, stand, I couldn't stomach looking at watches ever again. I thought I'd get out of it, went into real estate development here in Hawaii. And um, and then you know I just kind of gravitated back towards it, but I pulled it out. The First thing I did is I pulled it out, and that's the inspiration for what I'm doing now.
2: That's awesome.
0: I should and hang it on my wall.
2: That's what's, Yeah, put it. You know, make a nice shadow box. Put you know maybe
0: crushed
2: <laughs> velvet or you know a little bit of lighting. Have it you know. Yeah. Just my right. thought I
0: made this for me. I put on my wall.
2: Oh, fantastic!
0: Yeah. That's yeah, really so cool. you know, it just if, if if you guys if you
1: guys haven't gotten on to, to um, our page watch uh, our page watch dot com, just scroll through the pictures, and I mean it's that's that's that it's watch porn for sure. Yeah, <laughs> that that clock that that, that um, you just showed us that's you know he he has a watch with hands like that. So that I'm like, I don't I don't know how many people have just spent time scrolling through your website, but if they haven't, they should at least take five or ten minutes to just scroll through some of those pictures. We we you know. Happy. Yeah. I mean it's
0: people look through my website, right?
1: Yeah. Well I'm I will go on there and I'll just click next, 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 just yeah. Look through all the pictures and enjoy the show. <laughs> it's quite oh, yeah.
0: some of the really interesting stuff doesn't get on my website because I produce it, you know for commission. Somebody will commission me to do a watch, but I don't. I don't want to put it on because I don't want people to know that somebody has it. But I've done some really interesting things that never get shown. Uh, some I'll put some of those pictures up if I get permission. Yeah,
2: that's, that's that's really cool. Amazing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, to me, when when I look on your website, it's almost like going to the the auto show, and you get to see all the new. But except these aren't prototypes; these are real. It's not. Oh, this is what a watch could be. This is. This is what he made a watch into. Like I said, these aren't clay prototypes that you'll never see on the road. These are real watches that you're gonna see maybe on someone's wrist, maybe sometime. They are they are very rare, but you know, it's but they are out there. So
0: <clears throat> well I was impressed by um, Steve Jobs, one of his best lines in every said so you, you go to these auto shows and you see people produce these great prototypes and then they snatch success out of the jaws, of, you know, snatch defeat out of the jaws of victory because I never produced them. They always watered it down. I have a really, really terrible car. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I, I, people in the watch business should, should learn from that. They should, they should try to come out on their best foot, do something that's really dynamic.
1: Well, I'll definitely say this. Um, I'm, I'm in the process of, um, creating a new case and i know you're going to be able to tell the inspiration came from from you on on some ways but you have truly been an inspiration for this new case design it's a tornado shaped um case and it's going to be very different than the raider and um, hopefully i'll be i'll have some some renderings pretty soon because what i started with was just just hand drawing with pencil and paper and so we're, we're close to having the case rendered uh, for a 3d rendering to show, to share. So I can't wait to show that. Pretty exciting. And I think, I think hopefully, hopefully you'll see it and you'll be proud of me for, (laughs) for taking some notes and learning because um, you've definitely been an inspiration to the
2: brand. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't I really don't think there's a person out there that's really into watches that doesn't at least recognize your name or your brand. <clears throat> and the the way that you've just your designs are phenomenal. The whole concept of, you know, fitting the old movements, the old dials and it is just so cool and with the art deco designs and I was I was thinking about when they were talking about um, you know people were looking at you like you were crazy in the '90s for you know for the first rocket watch, and and then I thought about it. I was like, you know, I have my grandfather's Second World War dress uniform, and I'm six two 330 so I might be able to fit one leg in that whole uniform. So here's the thing: is that. You know, have watches gotten bigger because people have gotten so much bigger? I no, mean, no. We we're bigger than we were a hundred years ago, and you know, but or is it a fad? Is it? Do you think no, they'll the go exaggeration, smaller?
0: The exaggeration design, because if you think about it, I mean, you just tell me how, how how tall and heavy are you are. I, I can see from your wrist. I couldn't tell from your wrist. So you you needed a lot of strap. So yeah, know, oh, yeah, it's uh, yeah,
2: it's all the way there.
0: Yeah, but. It wasn't because of the size of people, it's because if you, if you think of, um, if you think of a, little, a little image of a cartoon of Mickey Mouse, okay, this big. But if you blow it up, Mickey Mouse, real big like Disney did on a big screen, it's so dynamic. If you, if you exaggerate the design and make it almost cartoonish, you can really, really push the design concept. You don't want to go too big because then it becomes overwhelming for the wrist. But if you have, if, I think because of the way that watches are larger today, it gives designers a lot more maneuverability yeah. to think out of the box or n- not even know that the box exists because you don't have to think about any any lines and boxes involved because you have the ability to make a larger, you can really define yourself and express yourself in a larger design. When you get in a 36 millimeter, a 34 millimeter, no matter how great the design is, it gets lost because it's so small.
2: Yeah, and that's that's my problem. And, and uh, if you've if you've seen on uh, like Facebook, I, I don't know if I have it on Instagram. Even the one uh, mod that I did with it was a Regia diver, and it's fifty millimeters all the way around because um, it has integrated lugs into the shroud. And that watch looks normal on my wrist. <laughs> You'd think fifty millimeters, like that's ridiculous. You don't need that. And then I, you know, there's a picture of me like this. And you're like, wow, that's 50. So, okay. Uh, you know, I have an eight, eight and a quarter inch wrist. And so what? what is normal to me, you know, I, everybody's like, oh, you know, go smaller. And I'm like, no, don't listen to anybody because they don't no, fit. I, I love that story.
0: I love the story you just told. It's like, and that's the, a real situation about how a design works. And, you know, it's a design for somebody who... Wants a larger piece. I love that story. I want to remember
2: yeah, that. It's it's fantastic. Like I said, it's um it's interesting that uh, Sangamon when they when they did this this is the their factory band and everything the rally strap, uh, but it, you know I did have to take the other strap keeper off. You can see, I mean, it just has a little tail. But the only reason this strap fits and why the one that I got on Brad's prototype didn't is because the I think the the notches go down a little bit farther on this one so you have just a little more you have a couple extra slots to yeah, try to yeah. pin through um other than that the sizes are almost identical so is that a dog yeah <laughs> they broke into the studio yeah <laughs> well,
0: that's a great we- story there. i love that story
2: but, yeah, I mean, I've, I'm a big guy. I have a big wrist. I, You know, I, I dive. Brad dives. We know you're always super active. You know, see you hanging,
0: hanging from acre,
2: you know, off a cliff or something in Hawaii. And it's I just, I'm like, this. Well,
0: he sleep? That almost retired me about a half a year ago. I, I, I was climbing, and I and I shit off a rock and broke my finger. Uh, I had a very hard time getting back into fixing watches for a while. So I thought I was going to have to retire from that.
2: Well, I'm glad you haven't, and uh, it's it's been such just such a pleasure. I mean, it's my first time getting to actually speak with you, and I'm 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 such a huge fan because really, what it to me what what you're doing is you're bringing the best of the old and the new. And I, I am a historian, uh, mostly European history, the Second World War, but um, having grandparents in the Second World War, my grandmother was a nurse in in Pearl Harbor, out near you, oh, really? um, you know, and uh, my grandfather got sent back to uh, Europe to go fight because, you know, he came he came here on a boat and then joined the army. And, you know, after, after a couple of years of being here, he joined the army and got sent back over to Europe. So, <laughs> and uh, so it's, it's stuff that's really, you know, near and dear to my heart, I, I, I fought in Iraq so uh, brad's you know prior air force you know so it's you know it's something we really
0: well i i, I got one of brad's watches recently which i really like and i needed a gift from my my brother-in-law who turned 60 and uh, he was the next submarine commander oh cool so he loves the watch because you know he loves planes and so he uh, he's doing this with brad's watch because it's interesting i mean it, Yeah, Yeah. yes, right. I mean, so military and watches are very, very um, go hand in hand a lot of things, a lot of a lot of design, a lot of the watches, wristwatches, of course, were designed with the military in mind when they first came out as a pilot's watch. But, um, you know, they really, they really affected the dynamics and the the direction of of, of watches, especially in the United States, because we lost momentum because of the two world wars, the the American watch companies closed down between the two world wars to make, you know, during the wars and before to make stuff for the war effort, not just watches. And the Swiss were neutral. So, yeah. so they didn't have to shut down. So they they took over the market. But the Americans, um, you know, they did some really interesting stuff. And a lot of it was, was affected by military.
2: Yeah. And uh, we were, we actually had a conversation earlier about how a lot, I think a lot of things in, in World War II uh, the radios at the time in the field were pretty much non-existent or very primitive, unless you had set up a, a temporary, you know, camp somewhere. And even then you couldn't transmit very much. So a lot of these guys did things just based on time, you know, say, Hey, you need to get to X before 1500 hours today, because we're going to attack it at 1505. And then guys would run off in 360 degree directions, all looking for X and hopefully they got there or maybe they didn't. And you know, so, and then that at that time, you know, open fire. And I mean, it really, it was a compass and a wristwatch and a rifle. I mean, that's what, that's what they had. And it wasn't, it wasn't, it's, you think about now, you know, modern electronics and things on the battlefield. It's just so much different. And those guys were out there.
1: Yeah. So. Well, guys, we are way past an hour. <laughs> so I think we need to probably wrap this up. We could just make this a series. <laughs>
2: yeah,
1: that would be I could, fun. I could talk to you guys all day, but I think we need to wrap up the show. Um, I'm going to give the, the floor to, to Mr. Page if he wants to say anything uh, uh, as a final thought. And then uh, we'll plug the channels and we'll head on
0: out. Uh, not really. My only final thought, as I say this all the time, is time waits for no one.
1: There we go. All right, guys. Go to rpagewatch.com. Check out those beautiful watches. Make sure you like and subscribe us on Taking the Time and Veterans Watch Collector channel on YouTube. And we will see you next time.
0: Thank you for taking the time. Great seeing you both. Take care. Bye, everybody. Hey, thank you again. Thank you.